Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. I'm Ben Morton, and a very warm welcome to episode 87 of the podcast, which is another solo episode. And it's a slightly different format to usual. What I thought I would do this week is take the opportunity to do a couple of things. I frequently get sent questions via email or social media regarding the podcast, particular leadership questions, as do I when people are completing my free 10 for 10 leadership course. And if you're interested in that, if you've not signed up for it already, um, I'll drop the link in the show notes to you. But basically, it's um, one email over 10 weeks. So 10 emails for 10 weeks where I tackle some of the most common leadership challenge and questions that I get asked. It comprises of a short blog or insight piece from me, a curated book recommendation, podcast recommendation, and a little video challenge for me. But anyway, when people are going through that program, they often get in touch and send me a few questions. So in today's episode, in this week's episode... I thought I would answer two of those that really stood out for me and that have cropped up a few times, along with answering some of my own podcast questions. So I thought I would share my answers to the questions that I normally ask guests. So without any further delay, folks, let's jump straight in. And I've got a question here from Ian Cockle, who has completed the 10 for 10 leadership programme. And Ian's question is basically, who was the most inspirational leader I've ever worked with or for, and how did they influence me? He goes on to say, what characteristics did they display that really drew me in? Now, I didn't really need to think about that for too long. There were two leaders that immediately sprang to mind. One was a gentleman called Tim Muir. Tim, big shout out to you if you're listening. And the other was Nigel Miller. Again, Nigel, thanks for all your um, leadership and support over the years. Now, whilst it didn't take me long to identify who those two leaders were, I did actually really need to sit down and ponder and try and deconstruct my answer to Ian Cockle's question. Like, what was it that really drew me in? What was it that really stood out for them as a leader? I've got some notes here, so let me let me tell you what was going on for me. So the first one was Tim Muir. He was my OC, which is an army acronym for officer commanding, during my first posting after leaving the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst. And it was under his leadership that I deployed to Iraq in 2003 as a 22-year-old, I think, lieutenant leading a, a troop of around about 30 soldiers. And I think there were a number of things that really make Tim a standout leader in, in my mind. I think one that really speaks to my character, some of my beliefs, maybe this is a belief that was shaped by by Tim, I'm not entirely sure on that, but it was really around his professionalism. He was like the consummate professional in everything that he did, be that his levels of fitness, which in the military was really important and is something that's always been important to me, health and fitness, not just fitness though, 
And despite Tim being around 10 years my senior, I think I could never beat him in a run. And that really bugged me. And I think it really made him happy. No matter how hard I trained, I could just never quite beat him. And then there was also a piece around his competence, which I think links with professionalism. Like his skills and knowledge were absolutely incredible and his ability as a soldier as well as a leader. Those things really, really stood out for me. I think this is interesting because the competence piece, and I'd never quite made this connection before um, Ian prompted me to answer this question, but it stands out because one of the most significant books I've read on leadership, and I think it really is one of the must-reads on leadership, is Jim Cousy's and Barry Posner's book called The Leadership Challenge. And again, fortunate to have had Jim Cousy's on the podcast talking about that book. But essentially, over 30 plus years, they have gone out and interviewed followers, asking them, what are the characteristics people look for in an admired leader? I think they've done in excess of 3 million surveys now all around the world. So it's incredibly robust research. And the fascinating thing is the the top four characteristics have hardly ever changed. Now, I might need to check back and see what Jim Cousy's said in the podcast episode as they're about to release the, the latest book. The top four might have changed for the first time ever. But either way, for around 30 years, competence has always been in that list. We want leaders who demonstrate competence. That's more so competence as a leader than in their, let's say, functional skills. But either way, competence is really key. And Tim Muir had that in in spades. Tim also had a real sense of presence about him that I think was was just right. He always had the the Goldilocks of, of presence. He spoke with real confidence and authority, and it was clear that he was the officer commanding. Yet he was, to my mind, incredibly humble and really demonstrated a huge degree of of care for the soldiers that, that he led. And despite him being my senior officer by many years, I actually always had the sense that he was speaking to me as an equal in many ways. And he had this real ability to connect with people on on their level, be that fellow officers or private soldiers, really. And there were countless lessons that I, I took from Tim, but one that really stands out in my mind and has stood the test of time for me was really around how he was very firm but fair and always worked incredibly hard and was always striving to absolutely do the right thing for those people that we had the privilege and responsibility to lead. For example, as a young troop commander, as a young lieutenant in the army, it was my responsibility to write the annual reports or annual appraisals, to use business speak, for all of the private soldiers in my troop, probably around 20 people in in total, I guess. Now, when I was doing these for the first time, whilst I gave them the care and attention that they deserved, Tim sent them back to me at least twice, possibly three times the first time I I did them in my career because he said they needed more work. 
And he was absolutely right. They they did. The reports that I were, was writing would impact the careers of those soldiers. And Tim impressed upon me in many ways and through sending them back, like just what a responsibility that was. And he then drove the lesson home even further some 12 months later in the next cycle when we were deployed on operations in Iraq. And the reports still had to be written because they would still affect the soldiers' careers. And it was still really, really important. I think second time round, the, the second year, I think I got the majority of them maybe sent back just once to be reworked rather than three times a year previously. And it was a lesson that I took into the corporate world with me when working on annual appraisals, which I, I think my experience was that many managers can view these as a chore and something to get done as quickly as possible rather than a task that is really given the care and attention that they deserve. The other leader that really stood out for me and has had an impact upon me is a guy called Nigel Miller. So Nigel was the chief operating officer and then later the group managing director of World Challenge, the company, the first company that I joined upon leaving the army back in 2006. And Nigel also appears on episode five of the podcast. And I think Nigel stands out as a leader for me for many of the same or similar reasons, at least, as Tim does. Firstly, it was his his work ethic was just and is um, absolutely second to, to none. Nigel is incredibly professional. He has a real presence. Again, at the same time, he's got this almost effortless ability to connect with anyone and to really put them at ease. So Nigel's career, again, you can listen to this on his episode of the show. His career began as an accountant working for Coca-Cola and KPMG. And as a result from Nigel, I really learned the importance of understanding any business through its numbers. And this is something that I really believe is important for all of us as leaders and has helped me enormously um, running my own business for the past nine years now. But I think without sharing Nigel's stories around how he taught me many of the same lessons as Tim did, there's one slightly different lesson that I took from Nigel that really stands out. And that was really around how to effectively handle difficult conversations and face into the tough decisions that we often find we have to make as a, as a leader, right? Because that's, that's our job, making those tough calls when we, when we really have to. And whilst my experience of Nigel is one of someone who truly cares about the people that he leads and the people that work for him in his business and businesses. He also really cares about them and he's able to make those tough decisions when when he has to. He can balance the needs of the business versus looking after the, the people. And those tough decisions in business will sometimes include letting really good people people go or having to deliver bad news and bad messages to them. And I know what this is like, and I know what it feels like to be on the the receiving end of those tough decisions that a leader has to make, because 
after World Challenge was acquired by TUI Travel, one of, at the time, one of the world's, if not Europe's largest travel companies, about two years after that acquisition, it became clear that Nigel needed to make some headcount reductions. With the, the our parent business, TUI Travel, having a very large HR shared service centre, the time came when they no longer felt it appropriate to have a HR team within one of their sort of subsidiary businesses. So Nigel basically had to make me and eventually the rest of my HR team, all by one person, I, I think, redundant. And Nigel just did this brilliantly, brilliantly well, actually. And what could have been a really difficult conversation, he handled exceptionally well. And I think that's because he delivered the message directly, yet with genuine, honest compassion. He delivered it in a direct way instead of trying to sugarcoat it or soften the message, which I think is a trap that many leaders and managers couldn't fall into, right? We've got a bad message to deliver. We're worried about how the person on the receiving end might feel and the impact. So we try and soften it or take the edge off of it. And the net result of that is the person just leaves the meeting feeling a little bit confused or not really sure what what the message was because there's a lot of mixed messaging in there. So I think really the the lesson from that, if I try and simplify and summarise it, was around always sharing tough, difficult messages as directly and as quickly as possible because I think that is the respectful thing to do. I think to do anything else, to delay, to soften, to confuse the message is doing a disservice to those that we have the privilege and responsibility to lead and ultimately means we are not treating that person fairly and with due respect. And then if I go back to the second part of Ian's question, which was around how did those leaders influence me? Well, I think they did what all great leaders do, right? They inspired me to be better. They inspired me to do more and work hard to to be more than I, I currently was. And I think actually I'd have pretty much done anything those two leaders asked of me. And I remain in contact, certainly, with uh, Nigel to this day. And it's a good reminder that I need to pick up the phone and get back in touch with Tim. So, Tim Muir, if you're listening, expect a uh, expect a call or at least a LinkedIn message from me. And again, to Ian's question, I think I attribute much of who I am today, the leader I am today, to these two leaders. So they've both heard me say it before, but Tim, Nigel, thank you for your leadership, guidance and mentorship over the years. I really appreciate both of you. Next up is a completely different question, folks. And I've anonymized this one just because I get a sense it might help or be the right thing to do for the person who sent it in. And this question is around... How do I remove friction in a large organisation where the friction is outside of my team? This particular listener goes on to say, I'm often frustrated by support functions in inverted commas who are so far removed from what the frontline colleagues experience that they lose sight of the objective of any leader or support function. 
He goes on to say, in my view, any organisation is there to remove barriers to frontline colleagues doing what they should be doing well. So big question. And it's probably, again, quite a common one. And I think my main thoughts on this are that we cannot expect anyone to change or to do something different other than ourselves, i.e. we're the only people that we can truly change. I think to try and expect anyone else to change is a futile exercise and it's really an exercise in setting ourselves up for disappointment and frustration. I think Gandhi said it best, right, when he said, be the change that you want to see in the world. I think this question, this person's challenge, is really one of relationship building because relationships are absolutely fundamental to effective leadership. Thinking back to my time at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst, and I've shared this before on the podcast, it was just drummed into us again and again and again the importance of building relationships with our soldiers, of getting to know our soldiers. Because if we were going to make big requests of them, if we were potentially going to ask them to put their lives on the line, they would only do that if there was a connection there and they knew we genuinely cared about them. So what this means is, as a leader, we need to be prioritising and focusing our time on creating nurturing, developing, sustaining relationships that are big enough and strong enough to enable us to make those really big requests of people when the time comes. And those relationships and those requests could be with people who work for us. They could be with people who work alongside us, our peers. They could be with customers, suppliers, other stakeholders. And they could be with our bosses and those higher up the organisation in support functions, potentially. And yes, this takes time, and it takes effort, and it takes intentionality. But relationship building is key to great leadership, because the more senior we become as leaders, what we deliver or our success is less about what we actually do and deliver ourselves, and much more about delivering through others. So, yes, we could simply wait for other people or the departments that we view or consider to be causing friction. We could wait for them to change. We could expect them to do something different. We could expect them to make the first move and try and develop the relationship. And then we could sit and complain to everyone and anyone who will listen when they don't do it. Or we can seize the initiative and start creating the change that we want to see in the world. And yes, again, we could say, but they're the ones being unreasonable. Why should I change? Why should I make the effort? Why should I flex? Well, because that mindset doesn't bring about any change. What it does is it leads to two sides starting to entrench and things getting worse and the relationships deteriorating. And when we do start to invest the time in developing these relationships and being very intentional about it and making it one of our priorities, trust and connection starts to grow. And then we can start to share some of our challenges and pain points and we can start to talk about what's going on in our world and our priorities. And in doing so, that opens the door 
and allows the other person to start to talk about what's going on in their world and their pain points and their pressures. And we start to get to a point of understanding instead of a point of conflict and frustration. And again, as the trust and relationship starts to build and grow, both sides can then also, as well as sharing their pain points and frustrations, can start to share some feedback around the dynamic of the relationship and make some requests of each other, make some suggestions for new or different ways of working. And yes, all of this takes time. But nobody said that being a leader was easy, right? And it's our job to lead and go first and start building and developing these relationships. So to the listener who sent that question in, I hope that helps and I hope it's an interesting answer and insight for everybody else listening. So I'm going to leave the listener questions there for this episode, folks. And next, I thought I would answer some of the more quickfire questions that I um, ask guests who come on the show. So the first one is I normally ask guests around the most impactful book that they've ever read or the perhaps the book that they most often find themselves gifting to other people. And this is a hard one for me to answer. And I understand why now it's such a hard one for my guests to answer because I read so much. But I think there are two, maybe three books that really stand out. And I know I normally only let guests answer one, but it's my show, so I'm going to give you three, right? The first one is Winning by Clive Woodward. Quite an old book now, but basically charting the journey of the England rugby team in the run-up to winning the Rugby World Cup in 2003. It is the only book I've read cover to cover multiple times. I love how it blends the lessons from the world of sport and business. I like the concept around striving for high performance in every area, being relentless and innovating both on a macro and micro scale. So that's definitely a top pick for me. Another, I've already mentioned it, The Leadership Challenge by Jim Cousins and Barry Posner. Uh, one of the absolute all-time classics, I think, around leadership, just because it is so heavily based in research that is so, so robust. And the third one I would share, which is one that guests on the show often talk about, is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Not an easy read by any means, but such a powerful book that just talks about purpose and the fact that in any moment, in any situation, we get to choose how we respond. And in doing so, we can shape our own reality. Next question I often ask guests is um, an object other than their mobile phone that they would immediately replace if lost, damaged or stolen. Um, again, a couple of answers I'll give you for this one. Number one, I would say my journals. I love a moleskin journal. I'm a bit of a secret stationary addict. Not secret now, just outed myself on the podcast. Um, but they really are so, so powerful for me in terms of planning out my days, my weeks, my quarters and my years. I use them for logging and capturing my ideas, dreams and plans for the future and for reflecting and logging my journey as a leader, as a businessman, as a dad and a, and a husband. So I would be 
lost if they got lost. And the other one, you might laugh at this, um, the other item I'd immediately go and replace is my Uniqlo gilet. Um, just love the fact I can chuck it on over anything I'm wearing to stay warm and still look business casual smart in inverted commas. Next up, a productivity tip from, from me. Again, another question I often ask guests on the show. Easy one for me, and it's linked back to the, to the previous question. So big, big productivity tip that's served me so well for many years now is simply pausing, hitting the pause button to take some time out to plan out my weeks and days in advance. I call it the weekly planning protocol. I've got a really short online course around it if you want to learn more and take a look. But it basically consists of one of the last things that I do on a Friday is to pause, scan ahead two to three weeks, asking myself what's coming up in two to three weeks time that I need to be working on next week so that I'm on the front foot instead of um, reacting and constantly firefighting. And then there's a similar process that I go through each day. So starting the day with some reflection, some gratitude, some planning, getting clear of my priorities before doing anything else, before checking my emails or social media feeds. So yeah, if you're interested in learning more, do check out the weekly planning protocol, folks. I'll chuck a link for that in the show notes as well, along with a discount code. So you can take 50% off the price if you're interested in learning more. As a little thank you from me to you as a listener. And then final one I'm going to answer on this episode of the show, folks, is the opening question I nearly always ask guests on the show, which is very simply, what does leadership mean to you? Well, for me, the job of a leader is to deliver the results that they're accountable for and to look after and develop those people that we have the privilege and responsibility to lead. And very often that's a balancing act because very often those two needs will be competing and sometimes at odds with each other as they were for me as a young troop commander in the army deployed on operations in Iraq. I had objectives or missions to deliver And in delivering those missions, I would be putting young soldiers' lives at risk. And I had to balance those two needs. And the reason I say privilege and responsibility, and you've probably heard me saying this before on the show, folks, but I I won't apologise for it because I believe it is so fundamental to effective leadership. It really is a privilege and responsibility to lead because every single person that we lead is the most important person in somebody else's life. Everyone we lead is someone's husband, wife or partner. There's someone's mum or dad, son or daughter, brother or sister. The list goes on. And how we act and behave and what we do as a leader doesn't just have an impact upon people whilst they're at work, whilst they're working between the hours of nine to five, Monday to Friday, or whenever people are working for us. Our actions as a leader has an impact on their lives outside of work. So 
if we are not leading in an effective, fair, human way, then we can potentially be sending people home unhappy, stressed, anxious. And yes, whilst those feelings and those circumstances do come up from time to time at work because of the nature of what we do, we absolutely need to make sure that we're not continually sending people home in that state because we've got no right to do that. And if we're sending people home unhappy, stressed, anxious, down, angry, whatever, that's going to have an impact on their loved ones at home and potentially their loved ones. So it really is a privilege and responsibility to lead anybody. So that's it for this episode, folks. I thought it would be a short one. It's turned into quite a long one. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this slightly different format. Do drop me a line. Let me know what you think, either on social or ping me an email to chat at ben-morton.com. Do send through any other questions that you'd love me to answer on a future solo episode. And before you go, I've got one final request of you. It would be amazing and I'd be massively grateful if you could spare just a couple of minutes for me to go and rate, review and subscribe to the show wherever it is that you are listening. It really, really does make a difference. And without those reviews, we simply won't be able to keep bringing you more and more episodes of the show, which I know you love and I certainly love creating for you. So that's it, folks. Episode 87. Hope you've enjoyed it. Take care and lead on. Lead on.